The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Today I want to go to a passage that is no... This will not be your first time hearing this passage, I hope. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It's a very common passage, but... Often I find that the things that are, we are most familiar with are the things that we take for granted the most. Uh, we may know that we're married to a beautiful, wonderful woman, but sometimes we forget to tell her that, right men? We are familiar with something to the point of just gla- glancing over it. We just fly through it, you read through it, oh yeah, that's the, that's the parable of this or that. It's kind of like pastor has been doing with uh, Matthew 5, we have all heard, or many, if you've been in church for any number of years, you have heard the Beatitudes, you've heard the Sermon on the Mount, you know it, but isn't it good to face it again and dig a little deeper, to take some time to remember what you sometimes fly by? Um, so tonight I want to look at the Good Samaritan, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and to slow down a little bit and to see that there's more than just a story about being a good neighbor or about being kind to other people. That's certainly part of it. There's much more, though, and I want to look at that. Let's pray, if you don't mind, and then we'll get into the passage. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening, for the opportunity to open your word to these fine folks. I ask that you would guide my, my words, help me to say the things that I ought to say, and to avoid the distractions and the distra- the rabbit trails. I pray that you would just allow this to be a good time of teaching, and Lord, that you would speak to my heart as well through this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Luke chapter 10, looking at verse 25 to begin. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who's my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. All right, so we'll kind of break down the different segments of this passage in a few minutes, but 
Uh, just the overarching story is very familiar to us. In fact, it's in culture, it's in a lot of stories, it's in a lot of uh, books and novels. You can find this common theme throughout literature everywhere, and that's because it's a classic parable. Now, there are some that say that parables were true stories that Jesus was, was saying, and there are others that say Jesus was giving a, an allegorical story with a point. Not necessarily true. He's just saying, let's pretend that there's this, and he would use that to teach some sort of lesson. Now, I think that he used both. There's times where he would give people names. That's pretty obvious. That's a story about somebody he knew. There's other times like this where he says, there's a certain man. I kind of tend to think that he had someone in mind by name when he said there was a certain man. It doesn't really matter, though. What matters is that Jesus is trying to teach a spiritual truth using a, an earthly story just to kind of get it through our thick skulls. Now, I know, anyone in here a lawyer? No? Okay. Well, I like lawyers. <laughs> I don't like what they have to do all the time. You say, well, every defendant needs, the, needs to have a fair trial, right? Everybody deserve a fair trial, representative, someone who knows the law, absolutely. But they can be a little bit hard to pin down on things, can they not? They know the ins and outs. Here we have a lawyer that's approaching Jesus, and he says in verse 25, um, he said, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, tempted is another word for tried or tested. He's saying, I've got one for you. You claim to be the... You know, the person giving out rule, law from above, and you know this and that. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a question. In some ways, it's the big question. There's the, the why are we here, but there's also the what happens next. What happens next to, to me when I die? What do I have to do to inherit eternal law? Now, even that question is kind of an interesting word. Like, it's, it's not asked as a normal person. A lawyer is phrasing this. He crafted this. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What does that mean? What shall I do to rightfully own it? What, how do I get it in my name? Jesus, being wise beyond uh, measure, says to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Now, if you work, if you're still uh, out in the world, maybe you have a job where you are still interacting with a lot of non-believers, or uh, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you've got family that aren't saved, don't they like to throw those kind of questions at you? Well, what do you think about this? And they've kind of got you set up. They've set the trap, and they've said, you know, they're not going to be able to answer this one right. And they, they lay the trap, they ask the question, and then they just hope that you step into it and you get all confused. You don't know how to answer. Well, what about how did the earth get here if millions and billions and dinosaurs and this and that? And you, you say, well, what do you think? And then you let them lead you up. Here's what Jesus did. He says, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And thy neighbor as thyself. That's a big list. He doesn't even word it as a normal list. You know, if I was to say, who are your five, um, let's see. I don't have enough friends in here to pick on people. Um, I, I wish I could, Darren. 
Um, he's way at the back, too. It's hard to see him back there. Now he's hiding. Um, so if I was to ask you, what's your favorite three foods? Could you do it? Brother Monty, could you tell me one of your favorite foods? Spaghetti. Do you have another favorite? Fajitas. And what about a third favorite? Watermelon. Now, would you like a watermelon spaghetti fajita? <laughs> no, I was a little weird. Um, now, if I was to ask you, what is your very favorite food? And you were to say spaghetti and fajitas and watermelon. It'd be a weird answer. You would say all at the same time or like spread out. Do you want it on the same plate so that it mixes? No. Here he says, what do you have to do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Okay, that would be good. But then he puts a comma. <laughs> he says, oh, but that's not all. Uh, but wait, there's more. And with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, oh, oh, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, good job. You got it right. Do that and you'll live forever. The lawyer should be really happy now. He got the right answer. But he says, essentially, let's read it and then I'll summarize. But he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Here's what he really said. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, I have to do all of that? He just gave the answer and he says, I can't do that. How could I possibly do that? I'm pretty good with loving God with my mind, my soul, my might, but just for the sake of clarification, Master, remember, he's a lawyer, Your Honor, would you clarify who your neighbor is? I might struggle with that one. Have you met my neighbor? Have you seen the people I work with at the, the, the court of law? These people that come in there, are they my neighbor? I deal with some people at work that are hard to love occasionally. Sometimes they're clients, sometimes they're co-workers. They are never people that give me jobs, Lance. They are people that um, I, I deal with, and I, I don't always know if there's someone I want to love. Now, I say that not because I'm like thinking that you'll think how humble I am and look at me, because I'm saying that because you know those people too. Some of them are related to you. Some of them are friends of yours. Some of them married into your family. And you, how, how am I going to be friends with that guy? We don't always get this very well. Here I want to look at four people. When Jesus says, who is your neighbor? There are four people that God or that Jesus God mentions in Scripture and saw fit for us to have today. Uh, first, I want to look at this this parable, he starts off, he says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. See, the first person we see in Jesus' allegorical story is a, a certain man going about his normal business, walking to Jericho. He's just going down the, the, the street that he's on, minding his own business, when thieves fell upon him, and they beat him up, steal his stuff, and leave him half dead laying in the street. Friends, if an allegory is a picture with a meaning, this person is you and me. 
It's you, me, it's your neighbor, it's your friend, it's your daughter, it's your son, it's your husband, it's your wife. It is the person that you're looking at now. It's the person next to you. This is every man. It represents you and me. Because, friends, without Jesus' mercy, without His grace, we're half dead. The Bible says that, that if we do not know Jesus, we are dead already in our sins. You, Without Jesus, you're half dead. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got electricity in your brain. You've got memories that you can hold on to, but you are dead in your sins already. There is nowhere to go from there. Now, half dead, if you... Anybody Princess Bride fans? Um, you're mostly dead. You know, you're not dead dead, but you're mostly dead. And there's the signs of life are there, but without intervention, you're not going to, to survive. I don't know if you've ever been in a life or death situation where without help you will die, but I've been in a few that were really close. An automobile accident, there was one with, that I was in that we had a multiple car rollover, we, were, we went this away, and then once we hit something big, we went this away, and it was not good. Um, we had uh, concussions and soft spots on our heads and knee braces and and necks were, I had to wear like a neck brace for nine weeks or something. Um, it was bad. You know, without intervention, it could have very easily been fatal. I needed someone to come in because I, I needed help. Um, and we've had, we've seen instances where people were without aid going to die. Friends, this person represents not the physical need, though. This is the spiritual need. This is the person that walks through their life thinking everything's fine, going about their business, and through no fault of their own, or through fault of their own, they're in a desperate, desperate condition. You see, we're wandering travelers with no defense and no hope of our own. If we look at the next verse, though, we see something here. And he's half dead laying in the street. This is where I wanted Darren. I was going to kick him on the ground or something. I don't know. Um, And chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. See, so we've got the the certain man. Now we have a certain priest. Now, what do you know about a priest? Anybody awake? Want to help? Come on. Priests, who are they? They can be, they're Levites, but we'll deal with a particular Levite later. This would be uh, the, the preachers, right? Now, obviously, they had tasks that preachers don't have today as it related to ceremonial worship and and sacrifices depending on what period of time you're looking at Uh, but these are the educated elite they are the in some ways they represented god now i won't say that they represented him in in the sense of like a prophet where a prophet came and says thus saith the lord and he was able to speak with the words of god but he was the figurehead of the church right It'd be as if Pastor Brandon was walking by and saw someone half dead in the street, and he said, eh, not my problem. Not my problem. Um, In fact, according to this, it says that he came down that, that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So this wasn't even a scenario where this priest looked at him and said, well, let me see if I can help. He saw him from afar off, and he said, you know what, I'm not going to go that way. I need to avoid that, so today I'm going to, I still got I got places to be, I got a tea time, I got to go this way, I'm going around. Uh, this is not what you would expect, is it? Friends, this is not just indicative of one man failing, this is indicative of religion failing us all. 
Now, I do believe that I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, you have a relationship with Him, but you also do have a religion to follow. There are doctrines, there are precepts, there are principles, there are things that you ought to do and things you ought not to do just because of who you are. Some of the, the reason pastors gone this week as, as part of this conference hearing is so that they as a group of churches can determine what direction they want to go as a, as a convention. And they're voting on whether or not certain things are allowed and certain things are disallowed within the confines of that. That's a religion. Now, I will say this. Vain, empty religion without a relationship won't do you any good. Friends, that's what this certain uh, priest was. He was vain, empty, dead words that could look at the problem but couldn't get close to fixing it. See, it's cruel in its own way. It glances at the need, but it sees it as someone else's problem. Friends, have you ever been part of a church or been seen churches fail in such a way where they look at hurting people and they say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that, and they walk this way. Instead of picking up the hurting, instead of helping the lost, they walk away. Friends, we can end up that way if we're not careful. To where we look at this world that's dying in their sin and we say, that's gross, that's bloody, that's going to make me messy, That I don't have time for this. And we walk this way and say, you know what, I've got places to be, I'll see them on Sunday if they make it to church. Friends, that's not love. That's not, and who is my neighbor? That is not, and loving my neighbor as myself. That's not checking the boxes that this lawyer outlined as the way to be right with God. And that's what dead religion does. It looks at it and it says, ah, let me not, I really want to deal with the nice, shiny, healthy, happy, wealthy people. I don't really want to help the hurting, lost, dying, sick, and depressed. I don't have time for that. That's what he did, though. He looked at it and religion failed that man. But that wasn't the only person that came by. If we look at the next verse here, and likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked upon him and passed by on the other side. Now that first guy, he saw it from afar and he said, eh, not today. Man number two, a certain Levite. What do we know about them? Who are they? They were special. They were supposed to be the preacher boys. These were the pastors and, well, not pastors, the priests and their family. They were a special uh, sub-family, if you will, of Israel that was charged with the religious leadership of the of the nation. They weren't entitled, they weren't really going to be the kings and rulers. They weren't going to be the wealthy traders. They didn't own a bunch of land. They didn't have all of that. They weren't really supposed to go off to war in the same exact way. There were different things that they could and couldn't do, but their number one goal as a people group, so to speak, or as a subgroup, was to be the, religi the religious leaders of their people. This Levite walks over this way. According to Scripture, it says that he, verse 32, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, he came and looked on him and passed by. So while the first man looked at it and said, not today, the second guy said, you're in bad shape, aren't you? What happened to you? You, you should not have been here. This is probably your fault somehow. This is what happens when you walk these streets by yourself. You, I get the feeling, it doesn't say this, I get the feeling he poked him with a stick and said, you dead? Are you breathing? 
Man, that looks like it hurts. Friends, if the first man that came by represented religion, I believe that the second man represents the religious person. Not religion itself, but that high and mighty, self-righteous, I'm better than you, that could never happen to me, look at how good I am. That has been me in times past. Maybe not to that degree, but to some degree I have looked at people and said, you know what, if they were just to do this, this, and this, they w- that wouldn't happen to them. They wouldn't, f- how do you find yourself in that position? You look at, uh, have you had a loved one that struggled with addiction, with, that struggled with uh, poor choices and, and financial ruin because of their own doing? And you look at it and you say, thank God I'm not like one of them. There's some scripture where we, we lift ourselves up and say, God in heaven, thank you so much for not letting me be like those people. Friends, as I mentioned in the beginning, that man that's lying there half dead represents you, me, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your daughter, your uncle. It represents the people you love and the people that love you. Without Christ, we're all half dead. And what is it going to take for us to look at people and say, that's my problem. I can do something about this. The first one says, not today, I don't have time. The second one looked and said, this is really bad, but that's what happens. It was really avoidable. That can be us. The church has a reputation for that, do we not? Sometimes we've earned that reputation, and other times it's because people are hurt, and they don't understand, and they look upon your life and think that they think that you think that you're better than them. Friends, a right responsibility or a right outlook towards God will let us know that we're... (laughs) we're but for the grace of God in the same condition as everyone else. Uh, Looking at the next verse, verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, thankfully, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Uh, That's a turn of events that was very fortuitous for this man that fell in the way. Uh, But looking at it, it says here that we've asked what a priest was. It's, you know, the, the church. And a Levite is, oh, that's the preacher boy. That's the elect. That's the ones that should know better. Who are the Samaritans? The the unlikable. They say, you know, a lot of times we think they hated. I don't know if they hated. They were kind of like cousins that didn't get along. They're still family, but we don't talk to that side of the family. We don't go to see them. We don't have them over for Thanksgiving. We might defend them if if they get into a fight with someone else. Okay, yeah, fine, we'll defend family. But I'm not going to shake their hand. When Jesus went through Samaria, people were like, what? You have to go through where? Okay. I guess you know those people are like this, this, and this. These are people that weren't good enough to be uh, that. In some ways, they were... Uh, not fully related to the family of Israel. Now, they were partially related, and they could easily be converted, but they had no dealings with each other. It was like a family member that had been cut off. See, this certain Samaritan probably would have been rejected by the very man he helped if the man wasn't in dire need. See, they didn't really like each other. They had some stigmas and some bad history. Uh, But when you're looking at this in verse 33, he says, 
and that he saw him and he had compassion on him. Um, he also, um, in verse 34, he bound up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine as a antiseptic and um, to sterilize and clean and to keep him from uh, getting further um, infected. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day when he departed, he took out some money, two pence, and he gave it to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come back, I'll repay you. Which of these three was neighbor to him? See, this last man, this nobody, this commoner, this not good enough, not churchy enough. He was never going to be the pastor. He was never going to be the priest. He was never going to be the guy you looked at and said, wow, what a man of God. But friends, in this scenario, he's the only one that had the heart of God. He's the only one that looked upon somebody with compassion. And I think too often we kind of get blinders to where we're looking at our Sunday friends and we see the church and we see this and Wednesday friends, we see that. But sometimes we can see our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday acquaintances and we don't see them for what they are. And that is people in desperate need of a Savior today. Without help, they're going to bleed out. Without triage, without you figuring out that they need the Lord, you're going to lose them. Now, we've all encountered death, the death of a loved one. I think of a high school friend that I had that committed suicide a few years after um, I left. Uh, we, we really didn't talk for years. Dear friends for five years, I suppose, and this person committed suicide. Now, I did approach this person with the gospel on several occasions, um, invited her to church and all that, but it never really took. And after a while, I stopped seeing it as a need just a friend. Somebody I cared about, sure, but not really, you know, how many times are you going to try that before you stop inviting them, before you stop witnessing, before you forget that they are really bleeding in front of you, spiritually needing something. And friends, when I lost that friend, it was very heartbreaking. Not only was there a guilt and a shame, but there was a serious loss. I knew that with help, now I know that there's other things at play, but spiritually speaking, with help, that would not be the last time I'd ever seen them. It was very hard to see because I felt like I failed. Now, I know that it's not on me. There's so many other things, but I also know this. We each have a responsibility to help the people we see. And if we don't have compassion on those around us, we're just as good as dead religion. We're just as good as the religious, self-entitled, vain, empty, arrogant, pompous people that the world thinks we are. Coming in these doors and serving the Lord in here doesn't help the lost world. Sure, you might be going to heaven. You know what? That priest was probably a good guy. The Levite, probably a good guy. But which one of them was neighbor? Which one of them made a difference? I'll tell you that it was the Samaritan. He stopped in his path. He was going somewhere. Why do you go on a road? Okay, when you go down 21 at 90 miles an hour, why are you doing that? Because you got somewhere to go, you got somewhere to be. If someone's stuck on the side of the road and you pull over, you're putting away what you thought was important, what you thought was vital, what you thought was urgent, and you say, there are things that are more important than whether or not this happens. That's what we need to do in our spiritual lives. We need to look around and see, 
if there is time wasting for this person, and sure, you do have stuff that needs to get done. People gotta get you gotta go to work, you gotta make the, the money, you gotta go home, you gotta take care of the kids, gotta cook dinner, gotta do this. But are we so busy that we can't stop in our path when we see somebody that needs Jesus? I know sometimes I get too busy. But how long does it really take? I don't know. I just know that we need to have more compassion. Looking at it, so he stopped in his passion or in his path. He stooped in his passion. He didn't just look at it and say, "Oh, I wish I could help." That guy's half dead. I'm not a doctor. I don't. What am I gonna do? So he stopped in his path, but then he came and he looked and he said, "Come on, buddy. What can I do for you?" And he picked him up, washed him off, which you know sometimes that's not the most important, but figuring out how bad they're hurting is a first step. And I think spiritually, we've got people around us that look fine. They look like they've got it all together. And when you see them in a moment of weakness, they can come to the moment of tears almost instantly when you just take a minute to, to say, hey, is everything okay? Have, have, we ever, have I ever asked you if you believe in Jesus or if you believe that, that, that there's more to this life? When you stop and take a few minutes, you'll be amazed at how many people will open up. Um, I try not to talk too, too much about like myself, but there was a man that I worked with at Citibank. I was part of the dark empire. I called for people that were past due on their credit cards. So if I ever called you, I'm sorry. Um, it was in college. It was a job. Had to happen. Um, so I was calling people, and there was this man that I worked with that always seemed happy. Always seemed good. Everything was together in his life. He was, you know, probably 15 years older than me. And I asked him one day, because he looked sad. He just didn't look his normal self. And I said, hey, um, I'm going to pray for you at lunch break now. Now, I was at Citibank. We weren't allowed to talk about churchy stuff. I had a Bible on my desk, and that was the most I could get away with most of the time. Um, so I had a Bible on my desk and a couple verses. I said, hey, I'm going to lunch. I'm going to pray for you while I'm gone. I came back, prayed for him a little bit. I didn't really know what to pray for him. He just didn't look right. So I prayed for him and ate my lunch, and when I came back, he said, Hey, Jeff, come here. Why'd you say that? Why'd I say what? You said you were going to pray for me. I don't know. Something just looks really heavy on you. I don't know. Maybe everything's fine. Maybe you just need a coffee. I don't know. This job gets to you sometimes. I wanted to pray for you, and I wanted you to know I was going to pray for you. That was not something I did all the time, but I did this time. He started crying. I think I'd been married maybe six months, and this grown man said, my marriage is falling apart, my wife's going to leave me, There's, and he started going through his problems with a 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid, and he's in his mid-30s, and, and he's talking about this and the other thing. You know, I was able to lead him to the Lord because I said, I'll pray for you. As, literally, as I'm walking out the door to go eat my lunch on my 15-minute break or whatever, when we stop and stoop and look and lower ourselves and say, you know what, if you need a help, I, you have to open up a little bit. You have to risk something of your own and things will change. See, he also switched his position. Whatever he was doing before, when he got there, he stopped doing that. He said, let's, let's get you taken care of. He put him on his own beast and he began to walk and he went to this inn and he put him at the, the inn. That'd be like a hotel, and he, but with a little more, you know, they would feed him and they took care of him. He said, hey, take care of this man. 
and here's some money, and when I get back, if he costs you anything extra, I'm going to pay for it. Who does that sound like to you? See, Jesus here is saying you that to you and to me and to this man that it's going to cost you something to care about people. Now, I'm not talking about money necessarily, but you're going to have to give up some of the things you wanted to do, places you wanted to be, play, you know, things you wanted to, people to see you doing, because it's going to cost you something to care about people. When you don't give of yourself, you end up like dead religion going way over there, not able to come close to the need, or you end up like the cruel religious person that just wants to come and poke fun and see if it's okay and then go on about their way. When you care enough, it's going to delay you. And I know I have to work on that. Um, The final thought on this is that he gave of his own when a need was presented. You look at uh, verse 30. And he, he took money out and he, he said, whatever it takes, I wanna, I'll want i make sure that it happens. Friends, isn't that the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus gave for you and me? He came to us when we are in our dying need. Now, the Bible says that he came with no desirability. He wasn't, you know, there was nothing about him that would make you want him. In some ways, he was like the Samaritan. His people didn't want him tried to kill him, the, his own ruler didn't acknowledge who he was, tried to kill him, and then came down to it, they were successful. But Jesus did that of his own will, of his own power, he sacrificed, or he set himself aside to be sacrificed, and then he's left us, and he's coming back. Friends, there is a time where he's saying, you know what, whatever it takes, I will take care of it. I will pay that bill. I've already paid the. I've already put down my life. But whatever else is coming, I've paid for that too. See, I, I don't know how to convey this in a way that doesn't sound like pointing fingers. But I know that I don't value that enough. Sometimes it's so familiar, we just think, oh, the good Samaritan, be a good guy, be a good neighbor, love the Lord, love the God, and be nice to people that are bleeding. That's not it. To be Christ-like is to be self-sacrificing. Without it, we're just like this lawyer. And I don't say it as if it's a bad word, but here he is, an intelligent man, outlining what he has to do to be right with God, gets it all right and says, I don't know if I can do that. Friends, let me ask you now, and I'm, I'm done. I told you it was familiar. It's a simple passage. Can you do that last part where he says, and who is my neighbor? Jesus never really told him anything. He asked him. And I'm going to ask the same question. Which of these three, thinkest thou, was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, he that showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. Friends, which of them you want to be, dead religion, walking your own path, cruel religious nature where you just look and judge and scoff and don't do anything to help, or do you want to be the one that shows mercy? It'll change our world. It'll change our community. It'll change your family. It'll change your your interactions with everybody you see, <laughs> even mean people, because they need the Lord too. Go and do that likewise. That's what I'm going to try to do this week, even if it's just one person. There's not a lot of us in here, 
But if we all did it, that'd be huge. One person, go and do thou likewise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening. Um, I thank you for um, the opportunity to open your word. I know that um, it's not the deepest passage or the deepest dive into the meanings of words, but Lord, I pray that uh, the simple truth of the matter will, will seep into our hard hearts, our hard heads, myself included. Lord, I pray that you would allow me to uh, see people where they are, see the condition, and to have compassion on them as you did for me. Uh, Lord, somebody had to reach for me when I was hurting and show me to you. Uh, Lord, without somebody that having compassion on my heart, I never would have been exposed to the love and mercy and grace of, of, of our Lord and Savior. I pray that you would uh, help our church to be faithful to do this and not just to be hearers only. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.